happy Easter Northern Hills. If, uh, if you slipped in a little bit late trying to find a seat, my name is Brian Past here. Just, again, so honored to have you guys here. And if you're new to Northern Hills or just a little unfamiliar, um, we like to get a little rowdy sometimes. We're, we're okay with making a little bit of noise. I like to say um, I'm kind of like a vending machine. The more quarters you put in, the better the snacks are that come out. So just, just okay, so, so it's on you. And I know some of us, we have kids in the room, and I know that can create just a little anxiety when you got your kids, you're worried about the noise. Just hear from me right now. Do not stress it at all. I've got little kids myself. There's going to be some shuffling and moving. We're just going to count it as crowd participation today. So we're going to have a good time. So you guys ready to dig in for a couple minutes? We're going to have some fun here this Easter. It's going to be good. So here's the deal. One of the ways you know how somebody really cares about something is if they have a very strong position on it. Okay, if anybody remembers the drama in our country from a couple of years ago, that was this debate right here, whether you are Team Jacob or Team Edward. <laughs> if you had a teenage girl in your life at this time, it was drama. This was really drama. Now, I didn't even know this was such a big thing until I've met these people that are so passionate about this. The whole debate about the Star Wars originals, the prequels, all the different nuances of Star Wars, I don't understand it. There are people who talk about hours about this stuff. If that is you, you are a dork, okay? <laughs> I, we love you, but you are officially in the nerd category if you are a Star Wars fan. I'm just gonna say it, all right? It's the truth, that's what we've all been thinking. Now, us sports people in the room, we know this is one of the endless debates right here in the room, right? Who is the GOAT? Now, we know this isn't really up for debate, right? Who is it? Who's the GOAT? Okay, I'm here live, Jordans. If you said LeBron James, all that means is you are under the age of 30 and you have a lot of growing up to do. Like, you truly don't know. Thank you. Now, this might be a little too soon, I don't know, but probably one of the most recent areas where people have some strong positions right now. Are you team Chris Rock? Are you team Will Smith? Is that too soon? That... <laughs> well, here's it. Here's where I'm getting at. I don't care if your thing is politics, entertainment, sports. We have strong positions about things we care about. And there's just an interesting dynamic to this whole thing because you can actually have a strong position about something that really doesn't matter that much. And maybe it's just a hobby and you waste a little time. It's not a big deal. But you also can have a strong position about something of real importance and be wrong. And then you actually might do some damage to your life. But there, there's another little layer to this too. It's possible to have a weak position about something of real importance. And you just don't hold that conviction very strongly. And when the trials and tests and hardships of life come, you may not be able to hold to that conviction strong enough to actually benefit from it. But you can also have a weak position about something of real importance and just be wrong. And you may miss out on some of the greatest experiences and opportunities of your whole life. Now, today, we were talking about one single event, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And what's so interesting about this particular event is for the last 2,000 years, Historians, theologians, all kinds of people have been debating and talking about this particular event. There's been movies made, endless amounts of ink has been spilled, and even with all of the debate and even interest around it, it is very common for a lot of us to not have a very strong position about this particular thing. So there's probably a lot of us in this room where you would not identify yourself as a Christian. You wouldn't necessarily say you believe these things. Let me just say, I'm so glad you're here. Seriously, we are so happy that you're here. And when you press sometimes on people who say, hey, I don't really identify as a Christian, they might say, hey, you know, it's just not really my thing. Or maybe you grew up in church and you just kind of grew out of it. You're not super interested. Sometimes people are like, well, I've heard some errors in the Bible. But if you sometimes even press down really hard, if people are really honest, they would just say, you know, Brian, 
I just don't really think about it a whole lot. Like, it's really just not on my mind. But there's probably a lot of us in this room here today where you would actually say, you know, Brian, I actually am a Christian. I believe this stuff. You're probably not going to say anything today that's going to surprise me. And I'm glad you're here too, okay, just so you know. And yet what's interesting, you will even press on Christians sometimes. You say, why do you actually believe this stuff? And sometimes they'll just say, well, I guess I've just kind of always believed it. Or, you know, I grew up in church. It's just kind of my thing. And you can press really hard on a Christian too. And if they're really honest, they'll say, you know, Brian, I honestly don't think about it a whole lot either. Like, I don't give this thing a lot of thought. And yet, we just have to have an honest moment. If the resurrection of Jesus did not happen, then really this is just one big distraction right now. We should all just go home, eat your ham, hang out with your family, eat some peeps, and just call it a day. Like, that's going to be Easter. But if the resurrection of Jesus really, truly happened, it is undoubtedly the most important single event that has ever happened in human history and deserves our attention. So this is worth taking some time to see. Can you actually form a strong position? Can you have some confidence about what actually happened here? Can we get some clarity? So I want to make sure we're all starting from the same place. We're going to just lay the groundwork a little bit here for a couple minutes. You rewind back to the first century. We're going to set the scene. The Jewish people in particular, but even a lot of people, are starting to really expect this Messiah Savior figure. And there's all these prophecies and predictions that they're reading and talking about. And they're expecting some amazing political military leader who is going to overthrow all of the oppression and bring in this amazing utopian kingdom society. That's what they're picturing. And this is reaching like a fever pitch. People are just feeling the tension of it. And then out of nowhere, this no-name carpenter named Jesus from this little town of Nazareth just blows up on the scene. And he just starts amazing people with his teaching. Thousands of people are gathering around him. He starts performing all these incredible miracles, giving people sight, healing diseases, opening up Chick-fil-A on Sunday. Just like ridiculous, mind-blowing types of miracles. And so people start asking, they're like, is this the guy? Like, is it possible that this might be the one we've been talking about for hundreds and even thousands of years? And yet, this whole story takes a really odd turn where the powers of the day start to see Jesus as a problem. He's calling out their greed. He's calling out the corruption. He's just calling out all the issues of the systems they're involved with. And he's becoming just a little bit too popular with the people. And so they decide, you know what? This guy's a little bit too much of a threat. And I think we need to eliminate it. And so through a bogus trial and some manipulation of the political system of that day, they are able to get Jesus condemned to death where he is brutally tortured and then nailed to a cross and crucified. Jesus is dead. Now, here's the problem with that. Messiahs don't die. And so everybody's like, okay, I guess Jesus wasn't the guy. He's just one more failed revolutionary for the dumpster pile of human history to be forgotten forever. And that's the end of the story. It's done. There is nobody at the tomb just a couple days later going 10 Nine. Don't worry. He said it was going to happen. Eight. Seven. Nobody. Everybody's home. They're all hiding. They don't want to be next on the hit list. It's done. None of us should be here today. And yet, weirdly, this entire plot takes another ridiculous twist. And Luke was a doctor in the first century, highly educated, highly intelligent, a master of the Greek language. And for whatever reason, this guy decided to take it upon himself to write an account of some of the events that were going on at this moment. And so in Luke, this writing he has, in Luke 24, 1, Luke picks up the story on this particular Sunday right here. He says this, on the first day of the week, Sunday, very early in the morning, 
the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Now, here's the thing. Spices are for dead bodies. You would put as many as 75 pounds of spices on a person's body at this time to honor it and do all these different things. Now, some scholars even argue that these were the very first ever Spice Girls in human history. I, here's the thing, guys. I promise that is my only dad joke today. I promise, okay? For all you rolling your eyes, we will get through this. I promise you, we will get through this, okay? So I'll cut that out for next service. I'll make sure I delete that. Um, now, now, here's the thing. These ladies, Jesus isn't who they thought they were, but they're like, you know what? We love the guy. The least we can do is honor his body. And so there's no streamers. There's no parade. There's no instruments. Just a couple ladies and some spices. Now look at the next verse. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now here's the thing. They're confused. Where's the body? They brought the spices. They're expecting a body. And interestingly, two angels pop up at this moment, which I will admit is an interesting twist. Okay, I will give you that. And they say this to the women. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. To which, again, if you were expecting this story to play out predictably, you'd maybe have the women go, oh, yes, Jesus was talking about this. Of course, we just forgot. Let's go launch a world religion. Let's go do that. That's what you'd expect. And then these ladies, though, they're confused. They're kind of scared. They're excited. There's just all this mix of emotions. And they're running back to some of Jesus' other followers. And they start telling them what happened. They're like, dude, the stone was rolled away. We don't know what to do. Some angels popped up. What's going on? And here's where maybe you would expect even Jesus' followers to go, no, ladies, you don't understand. Of course, always the men trying to explain it to the women, right? But that's what you expect. Then, okay, we'll help you understand. But look at their response. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. You know why their words seemed like nonsense? Because they are Dead people don't come back to life. I know we sometimes think we're reading some backward stories of people who had no technology advancement. They were smart enough to know that dead people don't come back to life. They knew that much. And so this is what has exploded all of the different theories and hypotheses about what actually went down then on that first day. And so much ink has been spilled on this too. There's actually some kind of interesting theories just to kind of get into this. One of the theories is actually called the swoon theory. There's some people that actually think that it's highly possible that Jesus didn't actually die. And he just passed out from the injuries and he was mistakenly buried alive. Now, what you got to know about this is we don't have a single historical account of anybody ever surviving a crucifixion. You got to know these Romans, they know how to kill people. And even the soldiers who put Jesus to death, they ensured they did it right. Because if they didn't do it right, they would die in his place. So they're shoving a spear in his chest. Water and blood's coming out. His heart's clearly stopped beating. This thing's over. And you just think about Jesus himself endured a severe flogging. That killed most people right there, actually. Then he has nails through his hands and feet. He spends three days in a tomb with no water or food. And then he's got to move a giant stone that would weigh about as much as a car. And he's got to get past these soldiers. Let me just say this. I don't care how much CrossFit you have done in your life. There ain't no way you're pulling that off. It's not happening. Now, there's another interesting kind of theory, though. Some people actually push called the prestige theory. Have any of you guys seen that movie, that Christopher Nolan film, The Prestige? There are some people that say, well, you know what probably happened? Jesus had a secret twin brother or some type of lookalike who then after he died, stepped in his place. And it just kind of created this whole thing that kind of fooled people. Now, just take a second here and think about how this could have played out. 
did Mary and Joseph like concoct a whole plan right when Jesus was born? They're like, hey, don't worry, you're going to die, but your brother's going to act like you in 30 years. It's going to be great. Don't worry. It's all going to be wonderful. Or did they not know? And then Mary's getting fooled by one of her own other kids. Mom's in the room. Can any of your kids fool you about anything? Ladies got the spidey sense on their kids. They don't get fooled by nothing. And then you think, why even push this in the first place? There's nothing you have to gain. So it's just a weird kind of theory, honestly, when you think about it. But this is probably the most common that a lot of people hold, and it's just stolen body. There's people say, definitely, Jesus' followers found a way to get into that tomb, take the body, and start spreading this conspiracy that he actually was alive. Now, we just have to acknowledge a couple details here, though. These Roman guards at this tomb, again, they were paid to keep that thing locked and sealed and tight. And again, they were the first ones to go out and say some of the crazy things that were going on at the risk of their own lives. Why would they even do that? You look at the response of Jesus' followers after he was killed. They're all going home. They're hiding. They have no expectation of anything happening after Jesus is dead. It's over in their minds. And then you just have to ask the question, why go to all those lengths when you have nothing to gain for pushing this theory? It's only going to get you killed. There's no, you can't figure out the motive for you crime show lovers. There's worse the motive. Now, there's all those kind of interesting theories, but there's one theory that I think a lot of people in our culture today subscribe to, and I call this the whatever theory. Now, there's a lot of us where maybe you're just here to, you're here to appease a family member, a friend, you know, you kind of check in the annual religious obligation box. And for a lot of us, we would just say, you know what, Brian, I honestly am not really sure and honestly, I don't really care either. <laughs> like, I'm just not thinking about it a whole lot. Like, I'm going to wrap this servant up, go do some family stuff, and move on with my life. And for so many people, let's just be honest, you don't have a problem with Jesus. You really don't. You don't even have a problem with organized religion. As long as people aren't harming anybody or pushing their dogma too hard, just believe whatever you want, right? Because the rest of us, we got jobs, we got kids, we got bills to pay, we got Netflix binging to do. Like, we have a life to live, and this stuff doesn't affect us a whole lot. And let me just say this. If there was no resurrection, I think that is a perfectly valid position to hold. Why waste your time, right? Let's just go home. Just be whatever about it. But we got to ask, what happened? What happened on that day? That has caused such a stir. And one thing we just have to acknowledge and deal with is that Jesus shows up. We got to deal with that. There were two friends of Jesus in particular who were there at his crucifixion. Now they're hoping he's going to be some great person. He dies. So they're leaving. They're leaving Jerusalem. They're just walking home. It's over. Why stay? And Luke writes this. This is the Sunday after his crucifixion. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. Okay, now just stop here for a minute. Is one thing to have an empty tomb? Okay, that's one thing. We have some explanations maybe in theories. What do you do with the guy who was just dead in the tomb a couple days ago and is now walking around talking to people? And this isn't just some isolated incidents. Multiple people start having encounters with Jesus. And actually, the responses are kind of funny. Here's one encounter the disciples had after Jesus died. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Now, Mary was a friend of Jesus, too. She sees him for the first time, and it says she did not realize that it was Jesus. Don't even recognize the guy. Another encounter, the disciples, Jesus' own followers, it says, when they saw him, they worshipped him, and some doubted. Now, I read these, and I think, Jesus, surely you could have found a way to make this a little bit more convincing, right? I mean, you just rose from there. Can you do a little bit of a better job? People think they're seeing a ghost. They don't even recognize you. And 
They're not even believing you there. They're looking Jesus in the face and saying, you're going to have to do a little bit better, Jesus. I'm not totally convinced. I'm not totally convinced about this. I'm looking you in the face, I know, but I, I don't know if this is real. This is not stuff you want in an airtight conspiracy theory. This is not the kind of stuff you want. And yet when I read it and I think about it, you know what it sounds like to me? It sounds like the types of responses people would have if they were encountering somebody who was dead a few days ago. It sounds like how you would actually respond as you're trying to process the fact that you're looking Jesus in the face after you just saw him get nailed to a cross and put in a tomb a couple days ago. And it's sloppy, it's awkward, it's real, it's raw. And even though it has all of those feelings, Paul himself, an earlier follower of Jesus, was so adamant that these were legitimate encounters with Jesus and not just some conspiracy theory. He said this, he, talking about Jesus, was seen more than five, by more than 500 of his followers at one time most of whom are still alive. So when Paul was writing this, he was like, listen, guys, Steve and Rachel, you can go talk to them. They live right off 136 in Colorado. Go ask them yourself. They're still living right there. Plus, I got a couple other hundred more people you can talk to. You don't say that unless you're confident these people can corroborate what you're talking about. It's just crazy. So Jesus shows up. What do you do with that? But it's not even that. Jesus' followers were radically transformed. If you actually read through the story of Jesus' life, the people following this guy, they are not the all-stars. Right? They're not an impressive group. And then when everything starts to hit the fan for Jesus, they all bounce. Like they're done. Why follow a failure? You're definitely not about to die for one. And yet, within days and even weeks of this Jesus event, you see the very people that were hiding, trying to save their own lives, coming out and boldly declaring that this Jesus guy who's dead is alive, even to thousands of people at a time, even to the very people who killed him. Peter's probably one of the most famous examples. Denies Jesus three different times at the moment of his greatest need. He's done with Jesus. It's over. And yet Peter himself does a complete 180 and embraces being imprisoned, tortured, and he was so convinced that Jesus rose from the dead, that when they decided to kill him over this, he specifically requested that he be crucified upside down because he didn't think he was worthy to die the same way Jesus did. Jesus' family, interestingly, none of them thought Jesus was anything special his whole life. If you read the stories, there's actual points in the Bible where Jesus' own family is like, dude, you got to take it down a notch. You're starting to freak people out. This is too much. And yet, Jesus' own mother starts worshiping her son as God. Now, I know some of you are like, no, I know a lot of moms that do that. They worship their kids all the time, and it's really weird. <laughs> now, this is a whole other level, though. And James and Jude, brothers of Jesus who grew up with him, who didn't believe he was God or anything special, go on to write books in the Bible and go to their very deaths, declaiming their own brother rose from the dead. I have to ask you today, what would it take for your own sibling to convince you they were God? Here's the thing, I love my sister. There ain't no way I'm getting on my knees praying to that girl and worshiping her in any way. There is no way. So you just gotta ask, what happened? What flipped for these people? But it's not even just this, followers of his family, enemies of Jesus completely changed their opinion about him at great cost to themselves. Paul, again, a famous example. This guy was an ardent Jew. So when this weird, fringe, crazy sect of Christianity starts rising up, he takes it upon himself to just squash it. 
So he starts throwing people in prison. He's having people killed. He's like, we got to take care of this thing. This is the threat. And then Paul himself gives up everything. He loses his position, his power, the trajectory he was on. He'd be rejected by his family, his whole religious community. And he embraces a life of imprisonment, poverty, and torture for Jesus. Paul even says this himself. I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. If you don't know the story, that's exactly what happened. Paul would go on to be beheaded by the Roman government for that very claim. What did Paul experience? What caused him to change so radically? There's a professor author named Paul Little. He says this, men will die for what they believe to be true, though it may actually be false. They do not, however, die for what they know is a lie. Every single person thought this whole resurrection situation was a ridiculous lie. And then these same people completely change in such a dramatic way that they're willing to endure prison, torture, and death itself for this very claim. What happened? What happened? There's one other thing that we just have to wrestle through, and you got to acknowledge. History has never been the same. I just have to ask you today, how does a first century, no-name, crucified carpenter who never wrote a book, never held a position of power, didn't leave a single descendant, never amassed large amounts of wealth, only spent about three years with any public awareness in a small geographical area, barely lived past 30 years old, and died in utter failure and humiliation? How does this guy have such a massive impact on human history? How? You may not even realize it. You can barely go a day of your life without Jesus getting all involved in your situation. You ever been to a hospital or healthcare before in any level? We may not know this. For pretty much all of human history, the sick and poor were seen as the cursed drag on society. You would just discard and ignore these people. And yet, these early followers of Jesus were so convinced about this man that they felt it was their responsibility to carry on his radical countercultural commitment to the sick and poor to where we see the first voluntary charitable institutions ever started called hospitals, started by Christians. This would eventually become orphanages, hospices, all sorts of organizations committed to helping the outcasts of society in the name of Jesus. Have you ever been to public school or university before? Say, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Because for so much of history... Education was for the sons of the rich elite. You're a woman, you're poor, you're not going to school. And yet, this guy Jesus said ridiculous things like go into all the world and teach. And so Christians took it upon themselves to continue this legacy. So much so that you start to see universities like Oxford pop up that have the motto, the Lord is my light. The entire Ivy League was originally started as Christian training centers. 92% of all universities started before the Civil War were started in the name of Jesus. The first ever legislation passed to fund education in our country was started by Christians because they believed that Jesus would not want any child to be raised ignorant or illiterate, and that it was the responsibility of society to make sure they weren't just cultivated spiritually, but also intellectually. Guys, if you live in America, Jesus is all up in your business. Have you ever heard these words before? We hold these truths to be self-evident. 
that all men are created equal and have been endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Guys, before Jesus, none of this was self-evident. And yet this guy comes on the scene and says, people are made in the image of God and they deserve the utmost respect, honor, and dignity. And so much so that Paul himself, inspired by this life and teaching of Jesus, went on to write something like this. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. Scholars say this is the first ever expression in human literature that speaks clearly to the equal value of men and women in our world and our society. Guys, I know it has a checkered past and it's still a little complicated, but... You think of the most famous speech in the last hundred years, maybe even in history, when Martin Luther King stood up and departs from his script and quotes the Bible itself saying, one day justice will roll like waters, righteousness like a mighty stream, and gave this dream of equal opportunity and access for people of all races and backgrounds. And then with words inspired by Jesus himself, he put a death nail into the evils of segregation in our own society. Guys, I don't even have time to ask if you've ever looked at a clock before, if you wear glasses, or if you know how to read music, let alone if you've ever told somebody what year you're born because your entire life is dated in reference to this guy, Jesus. I have to ask you today, how, how does a first century, no name crucified carpenter, not only accomplish these things, but convince 2 billion people around the world that not only did he exist, but that he is God. I have to tell you today, guys, it is because he is not just some no-name crucified carpenter. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings. He is the hope of the nations. He is the glory of mankind. He's the Son of God, the Savior of the world. He's Jesus. He is alive. That's a good spot to clap right there. Guys, we don't worship Jesus because we were raised in church. Because it says it somewhere in the Bible. We don't worship Jesus because we've got nothing better to do on Sunday morning. We worship Jesus because in the most unexpected, history-altering event, he defeated death. He rose from the dead. He's alive. He's alive. You need to hear me today. There is a God, and his name is Jesus, and he is alive. <laughs> now, we can't even begin to unpack all the implications of this. Do you know what this means for your life? What the purpose of it is? You know what this means about how we should look at the teachings and life of Jesus? Do we even begin to think about what this means for the trajectory of human history? I mean, it, you can't even begin to unpack all, the, all of this, but right here in this moment, there's something we just have to acknowledge today. And I would say this, if you are whatever about Jesus, remember we were talking about that. You just need to hear me today. I know it would be so easy for you to just kind of brush this service off after it's over. You're like, okay, that Brian guy, he was a little excitable at times. The Spice Girls joke was cheesy, but we'll look past that. And now I'm just going to move on with my life. You have to hear me today. As of today... That is no longer an option for you. You know too much now. You're welcome. You know too much. You need to hear me though. 
to remain indifferent or just undecided about Jesus, that is ultimately a, re a decision to reject him. It is. And I have to ask you today, are you confident enough in your position about Jesus to reject him? Do you feel strong enough in that position? This is not an area in your life where you want some weak position about something of the utmost importance. And you just have to realize today, you need to decide. Where do you stand with this guy, Jesus? What's your position? But there's a lot of us here in this room today, I would say, if you are a casual Christian, now let me help you define that. You don't disagree with anything I'm saying today. You're nodding your head. You know, you're like, yep, check the box. You call yourself a Christian. Here's the thing, though. If you took an honest look at your life, it's pretty clear that Jesus is not playing a significant part in it. And sometimes we call this cultural Christianity. You know, a lot of Americans in particular just going through empty religious rituals and routines and not experiencing any of the real power and presence of Jesus and his resurrection in their lives. And I want you to hear me today, guys. There is so much more to a real relationship with Jesus than what you are currently experiencing. And there's so much more you have left to access. And today is a, you have left to access an opportunity for you to decide, you know what? I really got to get Jesus out of the periphery of my life because the only place he really belongs is at the absolute center. If he really rose from the dead, he has to be at a more important part of your life. But as we even get ready to close, guys, I need to make sure this is so clear. We've been spending all this time talking about what happened. You know, what are the facts? Can you have a strong position? I have to make sure we understand why did this happen? Why go through all this trouble? Like, why Jesus and why die and why Jesus did this for you? At one point in Jesus' teaching before he's crucified, he said this, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Please hear me today. Your life was meant for so much more. You were not meant just to exist and just go through the motions of life and survive your commute and endure your job and pay your bills and put up with the demands of your life and hopefully get two weeks off a year to take a little vacation from it all. You're made for so much more than that. Jesus said, I came to give you life, life to the full, a real genuine relationship with the living God, real purpose in your life that matters, actual meaning, knowing that your life is going somewhere, genuine hope and joy that can endure any situation in your life and even the promise of eternity itself. Jesus came to give you that. And if you don't know the whole story, I just got to summarize it real quick. You need to understand when God created this world, he designed it as a paradise for human flourishing. That was his intent. We screwed the whole thing up. All right, this entire human experience has been tainted by this thing called sin. And it's just all of us, we fall short of the design that God intended for us to flourish and thrive. And guys, I don't even think this is that controversial anymore. We see sin all over the place. Come on, we know the pain of relational breakdowns. We see the damage of wars even happening in our world. We see just the destruction of addictions in our lives, dynamics, the strain of just everyday life. Even if you have a pretty comfortable, privileged life right now, which I'm sure a lot of us do, life is pretty good for you. Even people who live some of the most comfortable lives still have just a sense of emptiness, loneliness, lack of purpose. 
And God, out of his love, refused to allow us to stay in this situation. And he came into his own creation in Jesus. And on that cross, Jesus had all of the sin, brokenness, and even death of humanity placed on himself so we don't have to experience it ourselves. That's what happened on the cross. But because he was God, he didn't stay dead. He just brushed it right off. And he rose from the dead, opening up the doors of life to the full for anybody who would want to receive it. And this is not just some heaven experience that you get after you die. It can start right here in this life. Eternal life starts now. But there is one requirement for it. There's one piece. Jesus said in another teaching, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Jesus is making a case that when you believe in him, you place your trust, you place your faith in him, his resurrection becomes your resurrection. When you believe in him, he will spark new life in you that you maybe didn't even know was possible. And it will ultimately even overcome death itself, where your death is not some hopeless end to a short life. It is a beautiful beginning to a promised reality that Jesus said he's preparing for anybody who's trusted him, but it requires belief. It requires believing Jesus really is who he said he was. It's believing that he really accomplished what we see that he accomplished. And Jesus says, you can access that life. If that even sounds moderately attractive to you, if that is even just a little bit intriguing, you need to know today, that is something you can have right now. Like you can believe today. And you can respond to Jesus and he will start a new life work in you that will continue into eternity. I'm gonna pray as we close the service and we're all gonna pray together. But if, again, if there is even anything in you that says, man, that sounds like a good deal, Brian, I'm gonna encourage you, you pray in your heart and in your mind and I'll guide you. And I'm telling you, Jesus will respond because he's alive and he will help make you alive in a way you never even imagined. And so will you guys pray with me right now? Jesus, we just acknowledge you today that 2,000 years ago, you didn't stay dead and you are alive. And that even 2,000 years later, in the middle of Colorado, people at our church, churches all across our state, our country and the world are talking about this person, Jesus. We acknowledge, Lord, that you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And Jesus, that you would go to such lengths for us so we could have true life, life to the full, that you would die in our place, that you would defeat sin and death on our behalf. Jesus, we just, we just praise you for that this morning. We are so grateful. And we just want to reach out to you right now, Jesus. You promised life to the full to anybody who would believe. You promised to give that same resurrection life and power to anybody who would reach out to you with a genuine heart. And right now, if you would say, you know what? I really want to reach out to Jesus. I want to see if there is something to this. I want to see if this Jesus guy really can live up to his promises. You can even just pray right now, just say, Jesus, I, I believe. With whatever faith I can muster up, I, I believe in you. I, I trust that you really are who you said you were. I'm putting my faith in you, and I'm asking that you would start to give me this life you promised. Jesus, I pray for everybody reaching out to you right now with a genuine heart. 
that you would just start and spark that new life in them, that resurrection life, and that they could experience the amazing reality that is Jesus Christ in their life, in this life and the next. And we pray this in the amazing name of Jesus. Everyone said, amen, amen. Church, can we celebrate everybody who was praying with us in that moment right now? You made a great decision. Thanks for checking out this week's message. If you'd like to get involved here at Northern Hills, check out our website at inhills.org or download the Northern Hills app. We hope to see you again soon.